Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And yes, you can go online to sunburymotors.com. When you do, you'll see their great lines of Fords, Lincolns, Kias, Hyundais. And really some awesome pre-owned inventory. And you can get the entire process going from the comfort of your own home. All at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James with the rejection. That's the call of Mike Breen, and uh, I think you know the incredible high respect I have for Mike Breen. Like I said, it was it was he guest lectured once in my class because Mike Mike teaches at Fordham as well, and Mike is one of those guys that uh, is not just good at what he does; he's great at what he does. And has zero ego. None. It's just one of the guys. Very humbled by everything he does. Very humbled. And he's just and he's he's just a terrific pro to be around. So that's Mike Breen with that call. Heather Dinich on ESPN writes says college football players across the country slowly start to return. And I think, you know, you know Penn State's getting closer to this. Uh, they haven't announced a plan yet, but they're getting closer. As football players across the country slowly start to return to campuses, Oklahoma's Lincoln Riley says there is sure that uh, is sure the temptation will be high for some coaches to push the boundaries on what's allowed. Many spring practices were either cut short or didn't happen at all this year because of the pandemic which raised a question during Riley's Zoom news conference about the possibility of coaches trying to compensate for some lost time during this initial phase of return. Voluntary has always been a loose term, Riley said. The reality of the matter is that there are different, there's different uh, institutions and there's different conferences that allow you to do a different amount, or some just look the other way. Look, this is what I've been talking about. Say, for example... You're let back in June, and you go through. Now, obviously, you have to go through a quarantine, and then you have to do your workouts in shifts. You're not going to have all 123 guys here, I don't think, at once, at least to start. But once they get back and they're working out, I think the coaches should be allowed to have two three-day weekends in July with no pads to do a minicamp, like an OTA. You know, I don't care whether it's like July, what's uh, July 10, 11, 12, 
and then do it again two weeks later, July uh, 24, 25, 26, and then open camp on August 1st. You know, two weekends without pads, two three-day weekends without pads. So you can make up for some lost time because you didn't have spring practice. But again, no pads. I think in this particular year, I think that would be a, a positive to have on top of the workouts you're already going through. That's just me, but I think it would be important to do that to get them back into a football mode. There's, a, there's only so many seven-on-sevens that you can have. Oklahoma State, by the way, in their testing for return to campus, had three players turn up positive for coronavirus. All three, by the way, are asymptomatic. All three felt just fine. You heard about the one story on CBS News that one of the players participated in a at a rally in Tulsa and feels he may have probably picked it up there. Whether he did or he didn't, uh, remember, more testing leads to two things. More testing leads to the possibility of more positive tests because there's going to be people that feel absolutely fine, but they'll test positive for it and they're asymptomatic. So you're going to, it's just naturally going to get more positive tests. But here's the other part that nobody ever talks about it's also going to lead to more negative tests, too. So don't forget that part. There's two parts to it. Three guys on the Oklahoma State football team test positive, so they'll have to be retested here after a quarantine. But the other, I don't know, 105? So will they bring back 105? So the other 102 tested negative. And it's not going to be perfect. You're going to have players that it's just going to happen because there are enough asymptomatic cases out there. And again, more testing brings with it two things. A, more positive results. Okay. It also brings with it more negative results. I know the test results here in Center County have been pretty consistent. By the way, it's the second straight day here, no new cases in Center County. Second straight day, no new cases which is obviously a big plus. But on the average of the testing that's been done in Center County, so I can speak to that. I don't know if Matt can speak to the other ones. But in Center County, the positive tests have been in the 6 to 7% range. You're like, wow, 6 to 7%. But I always look at it the other way. That means there's 93 to 94% that tested negative. So that's been the average here. Now, I don't know what the average has been in the Valley, Matt. Do you have that information, what the averages have been? Because it's about 6 to 7% here in Center County. I don't have that in front of me, but I can tell you, um, for as far as cases go today, um, there was just one new, four total, one new in Northumberland County. And Union's been kind of weird the last couple of days. They had 62 a couple of days ago. Then they got pushed back down to 60 yesterday. And now they're back up to 63. And Snyder and Montour are in pretty good shape. And I could also tell you that 68% statewide have recovered. They've started to give those numbers now, too. 
Yeah, I think what they're doing is they're, they're taking estimates. Um, and they probably don't have hard and fast numbers, but just fine. That's that's where we are. Uh, I know that hasn't been discussed a lot in the past eight days, understandably. Uh, and I think you've heard already that the charges against Derek Chauvin have been moved to second degree, and the three other officers officers that were there that evening have been charged with aiding and abetting. Okay. Uh, Penn State student-athletes of the year announced today. Danae Rivers and Lamar Stevens. Danae Rivers is fascinating. I think she's, I believe she's from Connecticut. I think she's from Southern Connecticut, down near the New Haven area. And she came to Penn State. Now, I think she was in integrative arts, but she was allowed to form her own major. which is fascinating. She is the only four-time indoor 800-meter champion in the history of the Big Ten, winning that fourth one, by the way, back on February 29th before the season went. She is Penn State's first NCAA indoor champion. Did that a year ago in the 800. Great story about that is John Goddack, who's a does a terrific job here. Danae is la- is Ray, she's in it, but she's you know she's not really challenging. Uh, John Perry was like, oh well, he turned away. He's like, okay, so let's get ready for the next one. When he turned away, she hit the Jets <laughs> and she flew by everybody, <laughs> and she won the NCAA championship. And John only kind of caught it out of the corner corner of his eye. Danae Rivers is an excellent student. We talked about her major. But she is as busy an athlete as there is on this campus. Because she's not only an indoor track, she obviously competes in outdoor track, and she also competes in cross country. So she is in three different sports that starts training in August and doesn't end until June. Although she told me, because we did a roar piece on her last fall, she told me she felt that cross-country helped her be better in the 800. Maybe it's the constant training, whatever it may be, but it helped her. But also, they did a good job as a staff of saying, okay, you're not going to go out and race every single weekend. I mean, they've done a good job of uh, with her, with what with the NBA would refer, refer to as load management. But think about that. On a collegiate level, in varsity sports, intercollegiate athletics, she starts in August and competes in September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. She has either training in August and then competes for 10 months and has and of course one of the great skills she has is time management. 
She is a fabulous athlete. And she was hesitant at first to do the interview. She says, well, I don't know if I'm going to be any good at this. And I could have talked to her for three hours. She says, oh, this is really kind of, this is really like a conversation. I said, yes, let's try to make it as comfortable as possible. And she was terrific to talk to. Lamar Stevens is the male student athlete of the year. Uh, I think every, I, how many words have I given on this show to Lamar Stevens over the years? Really from the day he signed his letter of intent. I wasn't allowed to talk about I know Pat and I have talked about this and I know Pat felt and I agree, I agree with what Pat says when he says this but when they got Tony Carr to commit that was the wow moment I agree with that but I have told Pat I said I said I know you needed Tony Carr I, I know that I said but I remember the one that made me sit back and go, wow, here we go, was Lamar. He says, really? I said, yeah. I said, I, I, said, I, I thought he'd be a four-year player that was going to be highly productive for you. I said, I said, be honest with you, I thought Tony was going to be a four-year player too. I said, so don't get me wrong about that. I thought Tony would be a four-year player. But I thought the combination of getting the two of them together was going to be so important. And, of course, the two of them together, they won the NIT. And Lamar was the MVP of the NIT. But you heard how well-spoken Lamar was on Sunday, intelligent, compassionate. And that's the kind of guy we're around all the time. Competitive. Intelligent, well-spoken, and on the floor, 2,207 points. An NIT championship, I'll say it straight out, an NCAA berth. He, he came back deliberately last year to do what they did. Do I think he has... NBA potential. Actually, I do. And I think something that's really going to help Lamar on the next level will be this. Notice when Lamar won the NIT MVP, he had some big games. He had 28, I think he had 28 in the championship game against Utah. He had 30 out at Marquette. That was one of the great Dick Girardi calls. We're in the pregame show at the Al McGuire Center. And Dick says, look, I've looked at the tape. Steve, you've looked at the tape. Says Lamar is going to get 30 tonight. They can't guard him. <laughs> he ended up with exactly 30. Because they can't guard him. But Lamar had to take much more on his shoulders the last two years. And something that NBA teams should realize, that when Lamar is an important component on the floor and doesn't have to carry it, take a couple of additional shots and so forth. He can be an even more... His shooting percentage, by the way, the point is his shooting percentage is higher when he's in that role as opposed to the, you know, I think I'm going to be the guy to take the shot all the time. His shooting percentage is actually higher and better. And I think he will get himself into a camp 
in one way or another, and I think they're going to sit back and say, you know what, this guy can play. And there are a lot of privileges in this job, a lot of them. One of the long list of privileges I've had would be announcing Lamar Stevens games. We will come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. See, that's what I'm telling you. That's the way it's going to be in the Catrillo household. Little Luke is going to become a little more independent, and Matt's going to remind him who the parent is. <laughs> See it right now. I'm telling you. You know I'm right. In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. We'll just have to see. Meanwhile, Lisa's going to be the rudder. It's the way it is. <laughs> uh, and you know I'm right. You can see it now. You can see it now. Happening right in front of me. All right. Um, by the way, uh, three Oklahoma State players did test positive for Corona. They're all asymptomatic. But what they've done is they have they've tested uh, staff, and so for the 150 people who were tested, three of them turned up positive. Uh, so they've told the incoming freshmen that for the moment they can't come in at Oklahoma State. I mean, and this is not – this is – Anything catastrophic or anything like that. Okay. It's, I think it's to be expected. Like I said, the more tests that you have, the more tests that you have, the more positives you're going to get. Oh, and by the way, the more negatives you're going to get, too. So, so there's the um, the story. Now, Ben Kirschful next half hour going to talk a little bit about Johnny Majors, then about the current situation with other things going on. Johnny Majors passed away at the age of 85. He was, you know, he was. People forget he was the runner-up in the Heisman Trophy balloting to Paul Horning. The difference between Johnny Majors and Paul Horning that particular year in 1956 is Majors' team had a winning record. Paul Horning won the Heisman on a team that went two and eight. <laughs> but as a head coach, he actually brought Iowa State back to relevancy. He then brought Pitt to a national championship in '76 uh, with Tony Dorsett, Matt Cavanaugh, and those guys. Then he left Pitt and went to Tennessee. Then he eventually came back to Pitt in the early 90s. And it didn't go well then. I mean, it's they were hoping it would, but it, it didn't. Uh, and... But he had a great career, storied career. <clears throat> and he's...
interesting. He and Joe go along fine. I'm not going to say it was perfect or anything, but they get, they get along fine. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070, WKOK. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street is Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you can go to sunburymotors.com. Check out the great line of Ford. Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, and also great pre-owned inventory. For example, I think at some point the Catrillas need a minivan. It's just just a thought. Somewhere down the line, not yet. Yeah. That's what I said about the Ward 4 recall. You just fire out the straight lines. I'll come up with the with the okay. <laughs> All at Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes Eleven and Fifteen in Hummel's Wharf. If you're wondering how uh, Joe did, by the way, against uh, Johnny Majors, he was four and one of his career against him. Beat him in seventy three, seventy four, seventy five. Obviously, Johnny in seventy six won. Uh, when they won the national championship went 12-0, and although the game was tied at halftime 7-7. And then, of course, Penn State beat Tennessee in the Fiesta Bowl. So, in 91. All right. With that, we bring in Ben Kershaval. Hope you and yours are safe, and it's really great to hear you again, Ben. Great to have you with us. Yeah, we're doing fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, you wrote a really uh, terrific article on, on Johnny Majors, uh, and uh, it's interesting. Johnny Majors uh, set up his head coaching career after, after being a fabulous player himself at Tennessee. He was the runner-up to the Heisman Trophy to Paul Horning in 56. At least Major played on a team that had a winning record. Uh, but uh, He then went on to Iowa State. What did the Iowa State experience do to really then set up what he did at Pitt? Well, so a lot of times in college football, and by the way, let's preface by saying I'm just a little bit too young for the Johnny Majors era in college football. I, I, might, I, I, I might have a couple of grades, but I don't have that I am not, okay? I remember distinctly when Johnny Majors coached at Pitt, so okay. I'm okay there. Yeah, so in college football, you've got program builders, yeah. right? You've got guys who come in, and they turn around, and, like, the best whatever is Bill Snyder, ever. But he did it at one program over the course of a decade. Yeah. Johnny Majors goes to Iowa State, which even today, even with all the great things that Matt Campbell has done, we know that Iowa State is a hard job, especially in the round-robin era of the Big 12 schedule. Sure he is. goes, takes them to their first bowl game, moves to LSU, so what? First bowl game. <laughs> then, he goes to, then he goes to Pitt, 
at a time, and obviously I'm preaching the choir here, at a time where Central and Western Pennsylvania was the epicenter of college football. Yes. I mean, the landscape was very, very different back then. Yes. So he goes, wins a national championship with a guy named Tony Dorsett, <laughs> goes on to goes on to win the Heisman that year. Then obviously he goes, so he takes a program and then it goes and wins a national championship there. And then he goes back to his alma mater, where, as you said, he was a wonderful player there uh, with the Volunteers. It doesn't win a national championship as all modern, but goes on wins three SEC championship games. Uh, you know, goes to several bowl games and it has an illustrious career there. And so, when you take the totality of that, you're saying how often at three separate what are now Power Five programs, sure. one of them, you know, is it was a maybe a former blue blood, maybe two of them you could say were former blue bloods at, at the time of their heights, uh, and it, it is a top five coach at the very least, a top-five coach at all three of those programs. When you look at Pitt, obviously he got Tony Dorsett. That was huge. And uh, he finally did beat Joe in 76. And and even then the game was tied at halftime. Uh, Okay, even then it was tied at halftime. And then it wasn't Penn State's best team. But he, he did something there by getting Dorsett. Then he gets Matt Cavanaugh. I mean, he did a great job of building around some great players. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did. I just, that was, I, the thing that you can I didn't really say about Johnny Majors is, is he, when we talk, again, when we talk about program building, I mean, obviously you you need to get star players to, to build around, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's a whole program buy-in and, and recruiting um, especially when you're, you're coming in, you're saying, "All right, we've we've got to figure out a way to, to turn this thing around." Uh, recruiting is not always easy. It doesn't even matter what era you're in, as far as that's concerned. Uh, that that is a complete culture overhaul. They, they had to do three times, and he did it every single time. Uh, massive, massive loss in the college football community. Not only that, uh, but it's also part of this is shows the dog-eat-dog world that coaching can be because at Tennessee, he's a legend as a player, mm-hmm. as a coach, but he had heart surgery. And mm-hmm. during the time he was out, an interim coach by the name of <clears throat> Philip Fulmer goes 3-0. and And guess what? Yeah. Uh, okay, majors comes yeah. back. They go two and three, and guess what? They tell him thanks, but no thanks. You are done. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, although you know, look, Phil Fulmer did okay. <laughs> oh, he did great. No, he did great. He did great. But it's like everyone felt like it was yeah. it was a backstab, Ben. Yeah. Well, he got a street named after him, so I, you know, that's like that's like what do they say. That's like what they say, like they get for the neighborhoods, like you kill the trees and then you name the streets after them. Like, hey, look, we, we you know, we, we got you covered. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it, it, it really, it's, it is it's kind of easy to have that slip through the cracks when you think about Major's time at Tennessee and how it ended. But it is, I, I think, obviously, but a blip. On, um, on the radar. And the other thing, too, is, you know, 16 seasons, we, we think about, like, first of all, nobody stays at the same place for 16 seasons anymore. There was a time, like, very few people do it. Gundy does it. Gary Patterson does it. Kirk Ferentz does it. But, you know, even back then, 
you get a guy like obviously Joe Paterno was at one place for a very long time. Majors was you know 16 seasons at Tennessee. Right. That that is still just that is an unbelievable amount of time to stay at the same place. At the same place, you know what happens? It happens with every single coach. Doesn't matter how good you are. At every single place, there comes a point, and it just it just isn't the same. It's just it's just a little bit more complacent. It wears on you. It happened with Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. Sure, I mean it happens to everybody. Yeah, no, no question. Um, you uh, wrote the story on CBS about the New York Post story that um, about Saquon Barkley wanting to be around spring practice and being an assistant coach. What did you think when you saw that, Ben? I, I actually thought that was a really smart idea on Barkley's part. No question. Uh, because really the best players, and I, I know this is a really simple thing, the best players are the most coachable players. I mean, nobody, Saquon Barkley has all the talent in the world, and he's already a, a top five running back in the NFL just based off of, of his early production. But, you know, when you want to come back, you say, look, I want to take another perspective on this. I want to try to improve my game, fill out whatever gaps I have. You know, he's young. That that mind of his, it's still growing from a football standpoint. I love that kind of thing. And obviously he feels at home in State College with, with, right. with James Franklin and that staff. So it's a, it's a good, comfortable spot. My guess is, obviously it didn't happen because of COVID, my guess is he goes back next year and he, and he probably tries to do the same thing and they'll welcome back with open arms. I love that kind of stuff. I think it's a real interesting approach. You see a lot of times players when their football career is done say, okay, I want to kind of go back. I thought it was a smart move to just say, you know what, I'm going to take a few months and just try to see things from a little bit of a different perspective. I, I think more right. players should do that. See, and that's the, that's the important point to me, Ben is that now you then go back to being a player and you in some ways can see a quote from the, the, their point of view, meaning meaning mm-hmm. the coaching staff's point of view. Like what are they trying to accomplish and why? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. All right, so the uh, couple other things in here. Uh, people are going back. Oklahoma State is back, uh, although I think three players in, you know, before they have to all go into quarantine. Well, three of them tested positive for for COVID, how important is this this period of time right now to see how this is going to work to then open the door later for what they hope are bigger and better things? Yeah, it's critical. And, and it, look, I mean, I think we both know more testing means more positives. Yeah. That's that's what you're dealing with. Simple. So yeah. when we so when we see, see people come back, it's like, look, man, it, it's not going to take but a few days before you start getting, if that, before you start getting these positives back. But I I think it's a real critical time for how are these programs testing and tracing? How are they quarantining? And then that gives you some period to say, okay, now that we've put them in isolation, for them coming back, how has that affected the the group? Uh, There wasn't any doubt that this was going to happen. Um, And the big thing is, and also, because I think the the players who test positive, they were asymptomatic. And that was a big thing because other programs were like, well, we're going to test you if you have symptoms. Man, you should know by now. That's not how this works. Right. You, you have, there are asymptomatic people. So I, this is a, this is absolutely a trial period in how to get this thing, I don't want to say contained, but how to figure out pro, the proper best practices right. and protocols for dealing with. 
SEC schools, uh, their facilities open on Monday coming up. Uh, Clemson and Ohio State have theirs opening up uh, on Monday. I think Illinois opens today. Uh, their facilities. Yeah. Again, these are these yeah. are just facilities being open for voluntary workouts. Yet you have Oklahoma State, which opened on Monday, and we just talked about the three positives. But Oklahoma, oh, how far is Norman from Stillwater? 50, 60, 70 miles? Something like that? Right? Only a couple hours. Yeah. They're not opening till July 1. How interested yeah. are you by the various approaches as to how each athletic department and each coaching staff, how interested are you by how each one looks at this? I have probably a cap on that interest, and it's not that I I don't think it's interesting. It's just that I I think at this point we know what the game is, man. We know the game is to get these players back so they can play football so they can generate money for the university. (laughs) That's that's what the game is. Now, you know, do I I think – you know, there's there's a there, there's no problem with being more cautious and bringing them back in July or something like. I I probably support that more. Remember, Mike Gundy was like, "Let's bring him back on May 1st. Oh, I like, remember. Oklahoma, yeah, Oklahoma State comes back like, "Oh yeah, we got like five positive COVID cases." Like, yeah, man, what do you think was going to happen? Like, so the, <laughs> so there's like there's that part of it. But at the end of the day, whether you bring him back uh, June 3rd, whether you bring him back July 1st, I mean, you're all going to have. You're going to have outbreaks. You're going to have cases. You're going to have to go through these these protocols and trying to contain the spread uh, of this this virus within your your community. And you know, you're just trying to do it within like athletic facilities right now. You get if you have campuses opening in the fall, you you start incorporating travel for football games. I mean, then suddenly it's it's a completely different beast. Um, so to me. I, I think it's very clear what it's all about at this point, and it's just how you manage it. And I, I think that's just kind of where we are with it. I think that's that's the right how do you manage it? I mean, that's yeah. that, that's what it comes down to. I mean, I want to say Kirby Smart is the one that said he thinks they're better off being at the campus facility than being home. Um, now, I, I don't, you know. I guess you can see from the point of view of they're, they're constantly cleaning the building, they have medical personnel and so forth available. I mean, that's probably where he's coming from with that. Let's be entirely clear about something. There is no better place you can be than in your home right now. Yeah. In terms of, of now, I think where he's coming from, and, and you, you sort of alluded to this, is like in terms of control. You, that and, and from a coach's perspective, you know that's what they're always about. Coaches are always about control. You can control the cleanliness of your facilities. You can control the testing and tracing. You, that's what he's talking about, and there is merit to that idea. But you are not safer <laughs> at, at a college athletics football facility where you're working out and you're sweating with. Are you kidding me? You're not safer there than you are in your own home. But I, I get where he's coming from in the control aspect of it, and that's where every coach is. That's where their point of view is going to be. Ben, my friend, thank you so much. Always great hearing you in the, on the other end. We don't hear from you often enough. Hey, Steve, I appreciate it, man. Take care. You t- ben Kershaw, CBS Sports. We'll come back, wrap it up in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Great to have you with us on the show today. Sean Clifford, Penn State's quarterback, tomorrow. I thought he put together a really, really good first season as a starter. Uh, He got banged up along the way. And whether he'll talk about that or not tomorrow will be up to him. But he got banged up along the way. I remember, I want to say it was a bowl practice. And I was walking out the... I don't think we were walking out the field. I think we were walking to like a lion's den drill together. And I'll tell you exactly what I said to him. I said, I "I don't think people realize you got a lot of guts. And he does. Because he kept himself out there because obviously he felt and the coaches felt that he gave them their best opportunity to win. And he took it as far as he could go, and then he got hurt in the middle of the Ohio State game again. And then when he did that, he did not play against Rutgers, which was the smart move to make. But he got himself back, and I thought, you know, he got off to a slow start in the Cotton Bowl, but then he settled in. He played pretty well, made some big throws in that game. The throw to Dotson for the touchdown, big time throw. A throw to Fryermuth that uh, Pat, I think, I think Pat stepped out at the, what, two yard line or something like that. Looked like he was going to score. Uh, it was a great throw. The touchdown pass to Fryermuth was a great, great throw. He had a couple of nice ones to Hamler along the way. You know, and he settled in and played again really well. It was a big reason why Penn State won the game. Um, obviously, you can sit there and you can focus on and properly so on the 202 yards that Journey Brown had in the Cotton Bowl because no Penn State running back in the history of the program had a 200-yard rushing game in a bowl game. So you're justifiably going to focus in on that. But you think of some of the big plays that Sean made. He also made a couple plays where he ran it. He has a lot of skill. I like his approach to the game. Not a little, a lot. And the other part about him is that he showed me last year, he's got guts. And I think with this odds, I'm really interested to see what all this is going to look like with that offense. That's why I'm really 
I'm interested to see how Sean takes to what they want to do. Now, that's that's why when I'm talking about players returning, I think if you let players return, especially if a team didn't have a spring practice, and Penn State falls into that category, obviously, I think you'll at minimum they should get in July one mini camp weekend. No pads. And possibly two. Now, I think that they, I, I think during the course of the year, coaches have, in the off season, the coaches, I think it's important that they have contact with their players. That's why basketball, I believe in, and by the way, you know, we keep talking about college football players returning. College basketball players starting June 1st, depending on the campus, are allowed to return too, men's and women's. But in in basketball, they give the coaches, I want to say it's, you know, it's certain time frames, but four hours a week actually go out there and work with the players. And in July, you know, they do full... You know, four days a week, you know, an hour here, hour there, whatever. They do full workouts. I mean, I've been to some of those workouts. And I think it's beneficial for everybody. It, you know, it keeps you in the groove of playing basketball, for one thing. It also allows you to build that team camaraderie you're looking for and start to get some chemistry built. Some, you know, take a look at some combinations. I think football needs that too. I, you know, the spring practice thing is awesome; it's great, but then you cut the thing off in mid-April and you don't reconvene until, you know, in terms of like on-field teaching until August first. Yeah, I think you need to have some time built in for coaches to have some uh, no-pad time with them to teach. Just me. I think I've always been one that has felt that more time between coaches and players, not less, is beneficial. Not overboard. I'm talking about basketball's four hours a week. I don't think football could do two two hours a week. Two hours a week. Get them out there. Do some teaching. To go with what they're doing in the in the weight room. Now, of course, you know darn well the big concern is somebody's going to take two hours and turn it into ten. Yeah, there are always going to be people that push the limit. That's why I pushed so hard in this Ward Four recall. No. Is that the wrong place to put that? <laughs> Probably. Just asking. <laughs> oh, you told me he was in a good mood today. This is true. I always get worried when I hear that.